Hi, this is Chris Stewart from Oasis Church in Athens, Ohio. Please reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter or send us an email at oasisathens at gmail.com. If there's anything that you need, if you have any questions, we want to continue to serve and minister to the needs of our community. May God bless you today, and we hope you enjoy this message from Oasis Church in Athens, Ohio. Turn to Exodus chapter 20. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. And I actually am going to read it the way it says it uh, in the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, because I really like that translation. In fact, I think that it helps us to understand more rightly what God is saying here when you really unpack the, the, the totality of what that commandment is about. Because I think sometimes we consider it in just really small terms and we consider it as just like, don't use God's name as a cuss word, you know, like don't say GD and things like that, or OMG. Um, even though, yeah, I agree with that. It's more than that. It's bigger than that. And so the way the CSB reads it is, is like this. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. So I want to ask you, and I'm not going to see your answers, but I wonder, have you ever heard a sermon preached on this? I mean, I've heard, I know you've probably had conversations about it, and maybe you had, if you've grown up in youth group, maybe you had a youth group lesson about it, because youth groups always like to talk about three things, cussing, sex, and drinking, and and uh, that's pretty much what your whole youth group lessons are about. I was a youth pastor, so I can say that. And, um, and you know, don't do this, don't do this, and don't do this, and you, you're you pretty good. And so a lot, of, a lot of youth group lessons are based on morality, and um, and not just and not to- totally just on God, and I was guilty of that as well. And so what happens is you pull out commandments like this, and you say, "See, you shouldn't do that." And I think it's it's so much bigger than this, and that's why I'm excited today to actually preach a message about this commandment. This is probably one of the Ten Commandments that we don't think about very much. I think it's one of the ones that we take very casually, and we don't really stop to consider it. It's a, it's a really important command. It's a, it's a vitally important command because he says he will not leave anyone unpunished who uses his name in vain. I remember when I was in college, um, and I heard a phrase that was never used before, or like I'd never heard before. I went to a Christian college, a Bible college, and we I played intramural sports. And um, one of the intramural sports I, was, I played was volleyball. I loved playing volleyball. And it was during an intramural volleyball game, one of the guys went up to spike the ball, and he hit it all the way to the back wall. I mean, he got just got completely under it, and he, it was a terrible, terrible hit. And he shouted a combination of food items. And, I, and I was, it took me by surprise because he, he hit it, and he went, cheese and rice. And I thought... That's really weird. <laughs> what the heck? Did he... And then a little bit later, he missed a serve. Like he, he just he totally missed a serve and it hit the net. And he said, son of a biscuit. <laughs> I thought, what's the deal with all these food items? You know, what, why is he shot on these food items? I had actually never heard those figures of speech before. And then after a while, he shifted to things like nightclubs, you know, Mother Fletcher's and or rock bands, Judas Priest and things like that. And I thought, finally, one of the people was like, we were, we were kind of laughing at this dude. We're like, what's up with all these creative outbursts that you're giving? He said, well, it's just my way of staying obedient to the third commandment and not taking the Lord's name in vain. 
every time I'm frustrating, I'll shout Judas Priest instead of something else. And, uh, and, I, and we thought, okay, um, God probably actually knows your heart there, but all right, all right. We obviously know that, that you know, what curse word you're, is a, you're using a substitute for with those phrases, so it makes you wonder, is it actually any different? Uh, but that's that's what we do, and and and, and he's, he's mindful of that. And so today we're gonna that's what we're gonna look at. We're gonna look at the third commandment. What does it really mean? Is that what is that is that really the totality of it? Is that what it means? What does it not mean? So before we jump in to talk about what the third commandment does mean, um, let's let's think about some things. Let's think about it in the way I guess I mean that probably you're thinking about it right now, or the way that maybe you grew up thinking about it. I got another question for you. I'm probably going to get in trouble for using this illustration, but how many of you had moms that like to serve soap as an entree for whenever you had a potty mouth? Did you, you guys, we never did that with you guys, did we? It's because your mouths were perfect. You guys never had any potty mouths. That's not true. I, sorry, mom. I, she was like the Christmas story mom. I don't know if it was Life Boy. It may have been Zest or something like that, but I remember having my mouth washed up with soap. In fact, I have a story for you guys that is, uh, is uh, again, I, I came in the house one time and, and I, I sassed back to my, to my mom and, and she, she said, uh, she said, you do that again and we'll wash your mouth out with soap. So then I, 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 I flipped her the bird. I flipped her the middle finger and she came after me and went in the bathroom when she shoved that bar of soap in my mouth. And I finally got a chance to talk and I said, shouldn't you be washing my hands? You know? <laughs> so, yeah, that, that didn't go. I won't, I won't finish how that story finished. And so do you remember that mom? We were down in Syracuse. Okay. I think when we think about words, I think a lot of us grow up with the idea of there's a list of good words and there's a list of bad words. And if you're a good person, you'll say all the good words, but you won't say any of the bad words. And if you say the bad words, we're going to fix it by making you eat soap or doing things like that. And I don't think it's that simple. I don't think that this this command is that simple. In fact, I'm convinced it's not because, because actually we should use bad words for bad things and we should use good words for good things. And, and that's, it could really cause problems, for example, when we try to use good words and clean things up when we see bad things happening. You know, for example, that's why Isaiah says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Bad words for bad things, good words for good things. And what I'm, I'm not arguing here for potty mouths. That's not what I'm, I'm not arguing for inappropriate speech. That's not what I'm saying. But the Bible does have some really strong language and ways of saying things that are really strong. I was actually going to read some verses from Isaiah, but a lot of people probably couldn't handle it. Um, I was going to go to Ezekiel and read some of the things that God says in Ezekiel, but we'd have to beep, beep, beep it probably when I literally reading verses from the Bible about how God speaks about his people. We'd have to, we'd have to, I don't know if we could actually air that on Facebook live. I mean, yeah, you probably could, but I don't know. It might get some, Zuckerberg might, might uh, do something with it. But the Bible is sort of frank when it comes to things that, uh, that it wants to emphasize in the negative. If you jump to the New Testament, Paul tells some Galatians to remove some appendages, and it's 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 sort of you know you know things like that. Jesus says some stuff to the religious peoples, like, "Hey, you're a bag of snakes," things like that. You're a brood of vipers. Those are some really strong words, and he's actually speaking things that are pretty pointed. 
And that's why they would murder prophets in the Old Testament, because they would use strong words to speak to them about what God wants to say to them and what God, you know, how God was feeling about their behavior and things like that. It's why they murdered Jesus, because Jesus was straightforward with them. He told them exactly um, how how they were living, and he didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't, he didn't use good words for it to try to make them feel less bad. So the Bible does use strong language, and it uses it frequently, but it also uses it strategically. I mean, you can't just be like, you know, hey, always use good words. Well, no, use good words for good things. Use bad words for bad things. I'll give you some examples, or at least an example, I guess. I don't know how much time I'll have, but several years ago, I was in a, I remember being in a, a conversation with a group of pastors. I used to hang out, I used to meet with some youth pastors when I lived out in St. Louis and, and different church leaders. And they were saying, I remember hearing someone say, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? He stole a bunch of money from the church and he was sleeping with the church secretary and he ended up running off with her. And so one of the guys said, yeah, it was, it was quite an indiscretion. Well, I don't think that's the right word, indiscretion. That's the wrong word. You need, a, you need a bigger word for that behavior because indiscretion, you know, indiscretion is like when you're playing Scrabble and you, it's, you're coming down to the end of it and you get and you got the box of tiles is almost empty and you got this Z that you know you gotta you gotta offload this Z because if you don't dump that Z you're gonna it's like triple triple points or whatever and so you try to get creative and use a Jay Z word like fushiza you know and put it out on there. That's an indiscretion. That's not. That's something. That's you're you're kind of trying to ch- cheat the game there. That's that's what indiscretion. That's that that would be a better word for that kind of thing. If you grab the money and the secretary and you run away from the church, we need a bigger word for that. And that word is is actually a word that we're given in the Bible, and that word is adultery. To quote Jesus, Jesus actually said, "A son of the devil," something like that. We need a bigger word that articulates rightly a bad thing. So we need a bad word. For that, that's and that sounds like a bad word. Well, yeah, it articulates that bad thing that you're doing. So you understand what I'm saying? I always hate it when people be like, "Well, they had an affair. That guy had an affair." Well, that what? What you mean an event, a prom, a gathering? You know, like that's that's what an affair is—a wedding. That's an affair, right? I mean, use the right word. He committed adultery. He sinned. We use good words for good things, bad words for bad things. And the third commandment is primarily about. Not, it's not just about, oh, just only say nice, pleasant words and don't, don't ever use this word in this way. It's, it's bigger than that. And I like the way the CSB reads it. It says, do not use it in, uh, improperly. Do not misuse the name of the Lord. And so, so it leads us to this question, how should we speak about God? That's the question that I want us to think about today. How should we speak about God? Exodus 20, verse 7, do not misuse the name of the Lord. The first commandment that, he, that we talked about two weeks ago was there's one God. Second commandment, how do we worship that one God? And the third commandment, how do we speak about this one God as we worship this one God? So here he says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. We need to pay attention to that word, in vain. That's what the ESV says. It's actually probably closest to the Greek. I think when you say, when you see the word misuse, I think it makes more sense to us in our language and the way we think about things today. For the Lord your God, it says, will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Or the CSB says, he he will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. And I really want to emphasize that phrase, not in vain, that the ESV says, or misuse. This is the big idea. Don't misuse God's name. Don't take it in vain. And, And some people are probably thinking, well, 
what if I do? Or what if I have? Well, here's the answer to that. He won't hold you guiltless. He won't leave you unpunished. There's, there's going to be some consequence. It might be some minor consequence or it might be something major, but there is consequence. So please consider this, consider this, that when you misuse the name of God, he promises that there is consequence for that. It's like in Leviticus chapter 24, verse 11, there's a guy who takes the name of the Lord in vain. And, and, and after verse 11, verses 12, 13, and 14 or so, it talks about what happens to the guy. Basically, I'll give you the end of the story. He dies. Can you imagine that? I mean, can you imagine today on Twitter? God, I mean, God says, hey, everybody who takes my name in vain is going to die today. I'll tell you what, it would free up some internet traffic. It would free up, it would make Twitter probably a lot more bearable to look at and things. I would thin some things out, right? So God's got our attention here when he says, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. So a couple of things I want us to think about um, on this issue of misusing the name of God or taking his name in vain. One of the first things to, that we need to understand is, is we don't name God. That's one of the ways that God's name is misused is that people come up with different names for him, different ideas for who he is, and they put that, they impose that upon him. God does not want us to name him. He, he alone has named himself. And some people are like, well, who do you think God is, right? What's your name for God? What's your spirituality? What's your religion? What's your philosophy? What's your ideology? And I think God is, you know, I, people are like, I, well, God is this, or I think God is that, or I think God's name is this, and I think God's name is that. And I think everybody's talking about the same God, and therefore we just use different names for the same God. And look, that's violating the third commandment. No, we don't believe that everyone's. That's not God. There is one God, and he tells us his name. And we have no right to create a name for God because the, the, what happens when you create your own name for God is that's an act of leadership. For example, when you were born into this world, your parents gave you a name. They named you, and, be, and the reason they named you is because they had authority over you to name you. That's the name you were given. If we name God, we're exercising authority over God. We have no right to exercise authority over God. He is in authority. He alone is in authority. We don't name him. He reveals his name to us. He says he is the Lord, the sovereign one, the one who is over all. He is Yahweh. In fact, the name Yahweh that he gave for himself, it's, it, it appears almost 7,000 times in the Old Testament. It was such a sacred name that the Jews were so fearful of violating this third commandment that many of them wouldn't even say that name out of fear of misusing it and enduring the potential consequences. They believed, because his word said, there would be consequences if they misused his name. So don't name God. God gives us his name, and he shows us very clearly in his word who he is. And so we try to name him, we're misusing his name. And second thing is this, something else I want you to know uh, is that God owns his name. He, he's copyrighted it. He's patented it. You might work for a company and, uh, or, or I know many, many of you work for a school district or a, a university or, or a company or, or, um, or an organization. And if you work for a company, that company very likely has an icon or imagery, 
and it likely belongs to that company, that logo or that icon, and therefore it cannot be used anywhere else. I mean, we've actually seen this happen in names before, like the Ohio State University. And Ohio State tried to actually trademark the name Ohio, and OU, Ohio University, has trademarked the, the attack cat, and it can only be used on OU Athletics, nothing else, and things like that. And a lot of people do that. Well, the reason for that is because that that belongs to them and to them alone. Like, for example, if I decided today to start a coffee company of my own, and I, I wanted to start, at least talk about starting a coffee company. Well, we couldn't name our coffee company. We wouldn't, we wouldn't think like, hey, Starbucks would be a good name to use, and we'll use a mermaid and put it on the cup because it would probably increase our sales, right? Well, we'd find ourselves in serious danger if we used that name improperly because we don't own that name. We have no license to that name. They are the ones that own the licensing agreement. So think of it that way. Think think of it. God owns his name. Who are we to use it however we want? He'll allow us to use his name under certain conditions, but he's patented it. He's copyrighted it. He's trademarked it. He's branded his own name. It's his name, and therefore it should be treated how he wants his name to be treated. It should be treated the way he requires. We treat the name of God way too casually, and that's what this commandment's about. God says, don't take my name in vain. Don't misuse my name. So what does that mean? What does that word vain mean? It's super important, actually, because the name vain, if you, if the word vain means emptiness or falsehood or in a trivial way. I think that's what happens a lot. It, you know, using it lightly or inconsequential, not even thinking about it, right? It's a small way. It's disrespectful to think of it in a small way. It's dishonorable. And you need to think about that. I mean, every commandment has, has two, I mean, if you think, all the commandments that we're studying, they all have two sides, right? Like if he says, don't do something, then there's a positive. There's something he does want you to do in, in instead, right? So don't commit adultery. When he says, don't commit adultery, what he's saying is instead be faithful to your spouse, when it says don't covet your neighbor's stuff, then it's, you know, the flip side of that would be, well, celebrate the grace of God in the lives of other people without getting jealous and wanting what they have. So here when it says don't take God's name in vain or don't misuse his name, the flip side of that then is what Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, when he says, remember, this is how you pray. This is how you can pray rightly. Remember this line, our Father who art in heaven. And then what's he say? Hallowed be your name. The word hallowed is holy, respected, revered, honored. His name is, is that. It's all of those things. The opposite of hallowing God's name is taking God's name in vain. And so Jesus teaches us how not to violate the third commandment by honoring and hallowing his name, by praying properly, by speaking of it properly. And so this leads to some practical implications, I think, and applications of the third commandment. And I want to go ahead and kind of move on from uh, the theology of what it means, you know, to, you know, for you and me. And I want to, I want to think about it in a pragmatic sense, in a day-to-day sense as we go along. If it's so serious that God has, depending on how you slice it, um, 613 or 614 or so laws in the first five books of the Old Testament, that's what that, the Pentateuch, the books of the law, that's what we're talking about. And then he boils them all down to 10 commandments. And then the third commandment, he places this one third in the order it's a pretty big deal. 
And so for us to not know what he means, for us to misunderstand and just casually use his name without thinking about it, it's a pretty big deal. So I think we should ponder what it means for us in 2020 today as you go along your lives. And I just want to show you real quick four practical ways that we commonly take the Lord's name in vain that you might not even realize. Four real practical ways. The first way is this, by making false promises. False promises. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, and we're going to spend some time now in the, in the New Testament. I'm going, to, I'm going to jump to these verses and just quote them um, from my notes, and, and uh, if you follow along, that's fine. Matthew 5, 33 through 35. We're looking now at the Lord Jesus, the teacher, the rabbi, and him articulating for us the third commandment in a little fuller understanding, I think, as he speaks to his disciples. He says this, And he's preaching here. This is the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely. So he's picking up the big idea here of the third commandment, right? But shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, it's the footstool of God, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. So, Think of it this way. An oath is a vow or a promise, right? So if you're a believer and you give your word, it's a form of an oath. I promise. I promise I'll do this. That's a vow. For example, when a husband stands before his wife in the presence of God and and other witnesses, they will read their vows, they will state their vows, or they will repeat their vows. And they're not just like, you know, those vows aren't just like, well, I hope all goes well. You know, best case scenario, here's what I might do, right? That's not what, vows don't sound like that. They're promises. And so they sound strong. They sound big. It's a vow. It's a vow. And so we're to enter into those things seriously, not lightly or haphazardly. When we enter into these things like vows or oaths haphazardly or just lightly, taking them lightly, then what happens is we're guilty of disobeying the third commandment and entering into a false promise, giving giving our word for something that we have no intention of executing on or following through with. But what we want people to think about whenever we give our word is we want them to know that we're serious about it, right? Right? I mean, you might be thinking now, well, you know, sometimes we say things to let, to, so that people will know, hey, I'm really going to keep this. Like, I'm really, I'm really, really serious, right? We, we want them to think we're really committed. So we include the spiritual language in God talk to make it seem like we're, like we're really dependable. Like, what happens if you go to court, right? Sometimes you go to the court, they'll make you put your hand on the Bible and swear about it. I don't even know if they still do that. They still do that in America? I don't think they do, do they? They used to do this. Put your hand on the Bible and swear by the Bible that you will what? Tell the truth. So let's say you're an elected official. Do elected officials do this anymore? They put their hand on a Bible? I think they have the choice, right? Whatever, yeah, whatever book they want. So, you know, let's, so let's say you win. Let's say you're a Christian and you win and you, you get installed. So you put your hand on the Bible and what are you doing? I swear to uphold and do the right thing. I won't even ask you if they do, (laughs) if they follow through with that. I mean, do you honestly think that every politician who puts their hand on the Bible is saying, oh yeah, I'm going to read this book every single day and I'm going to make sure that I always do what it says. I'm guessing you all are chuckling right now. I mean, we don't even think that. We think, I mean, we, we tend to look at things like that and we think that's just ceremonial, right? That's just kind of a, it's sort of a fake thing. It's just a thing that we do. It's a thing that it's, it's, it's kind of a religious thing or it's kind of a, it's kind of a, just a ritual, right? 
I mean, you, you can't honestly walk. I mean, you could, I guess, if you walked up to a politician and say, hey, hey, I, you know, I was reading the Bible and the, the policy doesn't fit the Bible that you swore an oath to, right? I mean, haven't you read Galatians? I mean, come on. You know, we're, you know, we're like, and, and I'm sure the people are like, oh, oh, we were taking that seriously? No, that's just a thing we do, right? It's like a lucky rabbit's foot, you know, or it's a little religious thing we did, kind of like a ceremony. We, sprink, we had to sprinkle a little bit of God in there to keep half the people happy, Right? We don't really intend for this hand on the Bible thing to be taken that seriously. And that's, that's unfortunately what, what happens. And well, that's, that's, false, that's false promises. Another way we do this, here you go, are you ready? Finish this sentence wherever you're at. I swear to, did y'all fill in the blank? I swear to God, right? You ever heard that one? You gonna do, I mean, are, are, you, are you really gonna do that? Oh, I swear to God, I'm gonna do that. Did you really do that? I swear to God, I didn't do that. Right? Right? How about this one? As God is my witness. You ever heard that one? You ever say that one? It's God, it's God is my witness. I'm going to make sure I do this. Right? Or how about this one? I swear on a stack of Bibles. Like not just not like not just a Bible, right? Right? Like a big stack of Bibles. You stack those Bibles all the way up to here, and I'll swear on all of them, right? Bring all the translations out here. I'll swear on all of them. I'm not just gonna tell the truth, I'm gonna tell the honest to God's truth, right? That's extra truthfulness. It's like, it's like you're, not, it's, you're not just pregnant, like you're really pregnant. How can you tell more truth, right? I mean, it, you either tell the truth or you don't. It's either yes or it's not. I mean, it's, I mean that's, it's, it, we, but we do that kind of stuff, don't we? Here, here, think, I got one more for you. Think about this one. Here's the little kid version. I cross my heart, right? So here you are, Jesus. Like, Jesus, you're right over here, over my heart. I cross my heart and hope to die. <laughs> Think about I mean, you ever hear kids saying that? I mean, do we ever, did you ever teach your kid or did your kids ever say that? I cross my heart and hope to die. Are you really sure about that? Are you serious? I mean, well, we don't really mean it. I mean, that's not what we're, I mean, we don't, we don't think about what we're saying it, right? It's just sort of our way of saying things that, that actually Jesus is rebuking in Matthew chapter five. He says, don't do that. Don't do that. Actually, here's how James says it. Jesus' brother. James says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, period. Don't start throwing around all kinds of religious language like, hey, bring me a stack of Bibles and some holy water and make me a sign of the cross. I'm going to cross my fingers behind my back when I say this because then, it, you know, then it's not really, it, I, I'm not really going to mean it or uh, I'm going to cross my fingers and hope that it comes true. Things like, just things like that, right? Just, how about just this? How about just yes and no? I mean, if you say yes, do it. If you don't intend to do it, say no. It's really that simple. And I think that that's part of what this command is about. It's bigger. It's bigger. When we make promises, and we even sometimes will use God's name in those promises, we're actually misusing his name, especially when we don't intend to keep them. So false promises is one. How about a second one? A second way we violate the third commandment is through false prophecies. This is a very religious thing, but some people might even do this outside of religion. I don't know. In Jeremiah 14, 14, he says, and the Lord said to me, so let's stop right there. God's going to speak. This is a prophet speaking. Jeremiah says, and the Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying lies. And so the big problem here in Jeremiah 14 is they're prophesying lies, but here's the big issue in my name. The prophets are prophesying lies in my name, God says. So they're invoking the name of the Lord. They're telling people that God told them to say things that God did not, in fact, tell them to say. 
See, in the Old Testament, prophets would say, thus saith the Lord. You'd often hear that or read that, thus saith the Lord, or in the name of the Lord. There's a, a theologian, a scholar named Gerhard Van Rad, who's an Old Testament scholar, and he says that according to his ex- estimation, there are more than 200 times the Old Testament prophets say the words, thus saith the Lord, or in the name of the Lord. And what they're saying is, my words are God's words. So in this moment, God is speaking, and he's speaking through me. But God says, actually, there's a bunch of guys running around writing books, speaking at conferences, filling up churches, selling products, and they're saying stuff that I never told them to say. They're making up stuff, and this is still happening all the time. It still happens today. So how do you know if someone or something that someone says to you is actually something that God is wanting to say to you when someone comes up to you and says, hey, God told me to tell you this? Here's how you know. Test everything by this word, including what I say. Listen now, including what I say. You know what? We want you to make sure you are listening to Bible-saturated messages from a Bible-saturated church. If you want to hear the word of God, that's what you want, right? You want to hear the word of God. You're not just here to hear some man speak, some opinion of mine or some opinion of somebody else or some other woman. The Jeremiah says, hey, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name, God says, and that's a problem because it confuses people. He says, I did not send them, nor did I command them to speak to them. These guys are rogue. They're on their own. Jeremiah says, they are prophesying to you a lying vision. Why? Why would they do that? Because it's often profitable. They're prophesying worthless divination. They're super spiritual. They're talking about dreams and visions and new spirituality. And I got this new book and I figured out how to put some religions together to get a new experience and all that kind of stuff, right? And he says, in the deceit of their own minds. You see, God's, God's never been real big on religious pluralism, has he? I mean, he speaks right to it right there. He doesn't care much for it because there's only one way. That's why 1 John tells us, look, don't believe every, every spirit, don't, don't, but you've got to test the spirits because Satan sends out demons and they can give people lots of spiritual power and they can be great spiritual experiences for those people. And he says the whole point of it is to lead people astray. And the only way you're going to know whether or not it is true is if you compare it, take it to the word that God has given us. And this includes false predictive prophecy that anticipates the future. How many of you have heard someone predicting the end of the world? It's happening right now. I mean, the, I mean, you know, people are looking at things that are happening to us right now, right? Well, honestly, you know, Jesus says to us, no one really knows. I mean, you might anticipate it. That's fine. But no one knows the day or the hour. Jesus is like, he didn't even, Jesus said, he did, not even he, not even the Son of Man knew the, the day or the hour. But then you got some other dude sitting in his basement who says, I do, I know, I got this book based on a mathematical formula. I know when it's going to happen. No, 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 brother. If Jesus doesn't know, you don't know. Right, so be careful when we see things like that, or when we someone when we say "thus saith the Lord," what we're doing when we say "thus saith the Lord" is we're actually trying to increase our credibility, and in so doing, we're actually decreasing God's credibility. Because if it doesn't come true, or it's not the right thing, then other people say, "Well, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, he said God told him to say it, so apparently God's mad at you know he's bad at math or something, or God doesn't know what he's doing, or God doesn't know what he's talking about." Those Christians are fools is what they end up saying. When they speak like that, it diminishes God's authority. Sometimes this thing works like this. I'll give you, here's the more street version of it, because I, we've all probably heard this one more. 
the Lord told me. How, how many of you have done that one or been guilty of that or had someone tell you that? You know, you're like, well, the Lord told me to do this. Well, if it's okay, if it's if if it's a verse, like if you can if you can show me, right? We'll talk about that. But if it's just, hey, the Lord told me, well, what that is sometimes it's 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 like, well, I I know what the Bible says. I don't really like what the Bible says, and I want to do something the Bible says don't do. And so I, here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to say the Lord told me to do this, right? And so if you if I say the Lord told me to do this, then you can't tell me not to do it because who are you to disagree with the Lord? So it's tricky, it's sneaky, right? And so that's how people try to get away or justify doing things that the Bible actually clearly speaks against. They just say, well, the Lord told me. Who are you to tell me that I can't do this because the Lord told me? Well, here's the thing. God's not gonna tell you to do something that he directly contradicts in the scripture. He just won't do it. Or how about this one? How about when they project it onto you? Hey, the Lord told me to tell you. The Lord told me to tell you. I, I love that one. Really? Well, he didn't call me, right? Why didn't I? I know him too. Why didn't he just call me directly, right? I mean, I, you know, I, I didn't. I, I don't. I don't know. We're in a kind of a conundrum here because you're telling me the Lord told me to, t- you know, something, t- told you to tell me something, and I didn't get that myself. And it's. And but what you know, it sounds. It sounds really good though, right? It sounds like really, really authoritative, right? And and I think what happens is, and the reason why you got to be careful with this is because there are people who are real tender of conscience and they really want to do the right thing. They really mean well. And they'll be like, well, okay, you know, if God has a word for me, then give me that word from the Lord. And this is where spiritual abuse really comes into the church. The Lord told me to tell you. Well, you know what? The Bible also tells you a lot of things, and we don't obey those. So don't listen to something just some dude off the street came up and told you. How about you start with honor, honor your mother and father. Listen to the wise counsel of your elders. Seek good wisdom. Test everything by scripture. That's stuff that the Bible actually tells us to do. And if we do those things, I think you have a pretty good handle of what the Lord tells you to do. You don't just get to walk around and pull out the old, hey, the God told me to tell you something card. You got to do what God says to do in his word. So false prophecy is, is, is imposing upon people things that God didn't actually say. And those things end up harming people that God loves. So how many of us, I mean, that, that, that happens. With. So let's, 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 go, let's move on to the third one. The third one is false pretenses. Jesus says it like this in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. So there it is. They're using God's name. So here we are. We're still working up the third commandment. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. What they're doing there is they're invoking the name of the Lord, okay? They're invoking his name. Now, everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven on that day. So on the day of judgment, the most important day, the last day, the final day, he says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Now, they're invoking the name of the Lord, right? And what are they saying? Hey, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? We went out and we said, thus saith the Lord. The Bible says this. God declares this. We prophesied in your name. Did we not cast out demons? We had a little bit of supernatural power. We did some pretty amazing things. We made people, we wowed some people. We did those things in your name. We invoked your name. We did many mighty works in your name. So these people are standing up and they're saying, hey, look, our whole life was in your name. Everything we did was in your name. All of our ministry, everything we accomplished, it was all in your name. That's great. But it wasn't for his name. It was in his name, 
but it was not for his name. They were using God's name for their own benefit. And that's one way that we use God's name in vain. Jesus says that I declare to you, I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, you evildoers. And so it's your words and your works, right? Do they align? False pretenses are occasions where we're pretending we're pretending to be one of God's people when we're not really God's people, but we're pretending it because of its benefits. It's associating ourselves with God to get the benefits that he, you know, to get the benefits that he provides that we have no right to because what we want are all the benefits and none of the commitments. If you're a, here's an example. If you're, if you're a leader of a company or a business, let me ask you this. Is it okay? Like if you're a leader and you're in, 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 and you're a Christian, is it okay to let others know that you're a Christian? Like if you have a secular business, right? Like let's say you have a tire business, right? Would it be okay for you to let other people know you're a Christian? I, yeah, it's totally fine, right? I mean, many Christians, in fact, are actually looking for other Christians to give their business to, right? If I could find a mechanic that loves Jesus, which I have found one that does, I would like to give him my money to help them feed their family because Galatians says to do good for those people, especially those of the household of faith. So yeah, like I like giving my money to people who love Jesus because I want to help them and their families. So there are well-intentioned Christians out there who are looking for Christians to hire. So if you put a fish on your business card or a, you know, a fish on your website or a fish on the side of your, your truck or your van or your company vehicle, people will see that and they think, oh, those people love Jesus and, and I'm going to support those people, right? But here's the thing. If you're going to present yourself as one of Jesus's people, you need to conduct business in a way that honors Jesus. You can't steal from people. You can't rip them off. You can't overbuild them. You can't take advantage of people and you can't put the Jesus fish on your van if you don't truly honor Jesus in your life. That's false pretenses and it's using God's name in vain. A lot of people out there want to fly the Jesus flag without any of the obligations that that are that go with that. It happens all the time, right? It happens in politics all the time, right? Everybody, sometimes every time someone runs for office, what happens? There's a little bit, of, there's a portion of that campaign where they start talking about God, right? God, and they'll say things like, God bless America. Really? Okay, well, which God are you talking about? And are you really, are you really, is that really who you are, right? But, but because they mention it, we perk up and we assume that because that person mentions it, then they are for him. They're using his name, they're speaking in his name, but not for him. So that's false pretenses. I'll give you one more, just one more. I could go on forever and talk about these, but uh, the last one is this, false platitudes, false platitudes. And I'll be honest with you, this is, these four points have come from a comment, a really great commentary, you know, and I'm just kind of expounding on them a little bit. This, is, this has been a really good unpacking for me personally this past week of, of, uh, of these Ten Commandments. But a fourth way that we take his name in vain is through false platitudes. Leviticus 19.12 says this, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of the Lord your God. Profane, think about that word, right? So, so again, get the echoes and the in, intonations of that third commandment. I am the Lord your God. Watch what you say. Don't make oaths unless you intend to obey them. Okay, so here's the big idea that we want to focus on here. The word profane. What does that mean? What, you know, some people say, okay, what profane is, it's, it's a list of good words and a list of bad words, right? Profane, 
or profane, not profane, right? Good words for good things, bad words for bad things. I'm not advocating potty talk here, right? I, I'm, I'm saying that we need to understand what this means when we say the word profane, right? What is real profanity? What this means is this, the God of the Bible is a God of glory. He's a God who is glorious. What this means is that he is weighty, he is heavy, he is preeminent, he is significant, he is sovereign. And profanity, real profanity, is when we treat him lightly. We treat him inconsequentially. We dismiss him. We make him just, we just make him a religious exercise, right? We just kind of make light of him. We don't, we, don't even, we don't even consider him. Or perhaps we even make fun of him. But we make the heavy God light. We make the glorious God inglorious. That is profanity. I mean, there are people who may not ever use a cuss word, but they do that. That's profanity. If you're looking for a definition of taking God's name in vain, I would say the definition is this. It is projecting and presenting God in a fashion of emptiness, falsehood, triviality, lightness, just inconsequential. He's like, his name doesn't even matter. He doesn't even matter. He's not big. He's small. He's not heavy. He's light. He's not amazing. He's ordinary. It's why it's so easy to just throw his name out there, right? He's not holy or different from us. He's common. He's just much like us. And so that's what it means. I mean, that's what it means to, to, for the, God, the name of God to be profaned and for us to use his name in such a way that is profane. I mean, how many of you see something that surprises you or shocks you and without even pausing to consider what you're about to say, you're like, oh my God. Maybe you get mad or frustrated with someone and you say, Jesus Christ. You ever, you ever do that? It's amazing. Isn't it? I mean, why Jesus Christ of all the names? Right? We don't say any names of any other gods. Like we, you never hear anybody going, Chubby Buddha, right? You know, or Hyrie Krishna, would you shut up? You never hear that. Why? Why? Because those, there's not any power in those names. There's no power in those names. Everyone in this world, when it comes to profaning a name, goes for the big one, Jesus' name. So true or false? If you're a Christian, probably shouldn't do that, right? Yeah? If you've been casual about God's name, hopefully you today will see it a little differently. Now, we should say Jesus' name, but not as a curse word, not casually. I mean, sometimes even well-meaning Christians will violate the third commandment with false platitudes. I mean, kind of religious, spiritual, you know, littering the landscape with all kinds of God talk, right? It just sort of comes out. We don't even think about it, right? Think about it. It's a serious thing. So what should we do? Here's what we should do. The answer to the third commandment is doing exactly what we've done here this morning, and that is honoring the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and using, it in a, using his name in a proper way. See, we sit in a privileged place in human history where we know who the Lord God is. We know he is Jesus Christ, and I want you to hear about Jesus, and I want you to, to know how to respond to him. You know, we just finished a study in the book of Philippians, and the book of Philippians chapter two, verses five through 11, has some of the, the 
greatest description of the name of Jesus and what he is about. It says, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Okay, he's saying God wants us to think biblically here. Paul says, who though he was in very in the very form of God, so Jesus is eternally God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And so Jesus did not say, uh, he didn't stay up in heaven and say, hey, I deserve glory, not humility. I deserve wealth, not poverty. I deserve to hear the angels singing all the time, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I don't deserve to go down there and hear them say, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. You know, he, he instead let go of his rights. Even though he had the right to say that, he let go of his rights and he emptied himself, Paul said, by taking on the form of a servant, like a slave, being born in the likeness of men, God became a man. And being found in the form of a human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so when we make much of the name of Jesus, we are honoring a humble God. We are honoring a loving God. We are honoring a serving God. We're on, we, and we, in, in essence, are loving and serving a forgiving God. And that is what is amazing. When we take the name of the Lord in vain, and we've all done it, we've all done it, maybe not in the same way, but maybe in one of the ways that I talked about, one of the four ways I talked about this morning. And when we do that, we deserve punishment. That's what the third commandment says. It says that we deserve punishment. But here's the thing. Jesus comes as the Lord whose name we have taken in vain and he goes to the cross and he substitutes himself and he suffers and he dies in our place for our sins, for people who have violated, like you and me, who have violated the third commandment. And he takes the punishment that God says we deserve in the third commandment. He says it will not go unpunished. And your violation of using God's name, your misuse of God's name has not gone unpunished. Jesus took that punishment for you. And so that's why we like to talk about him and that's why we like to sing about him because there is just no God like him. When we sang that song earlier, you know, just the, the title of that song that we just sang before the sermon was Jesus, just his name. He walks on the water. Um, he speaks to the sea, he stands in the fire beside me. That, that bridge is so powerful, Messiah, my Savior. There's power in your name. You're my rock and my redeemer. I mean, those are, those are incredible, incredible words. And he's, his name is the only one who carries that kind of weight, and yet we throw his name around unlike anybody else. And so as we understand who Jesus is and what Paul is doing there in, the, in that passage in Philippians, what he desires for us to do is he's trying to show us today where Jesus really belongs to get him back on high on glory, where we magnificently behold his name, the goodness of Jesus. Because when we do that, we become happier. When you proclaim the name of Jesus and you feel the weight of his name, you actually become happier. You become happier. Realize you become happier when you feel small. It's why people go outside in the middle of the night and they stand underneath a, a, a clear, starry sky because when we do that, we feel like nothing. 
It's why people drive to the edge of the Grand Canyon and they stand, they look over that cliff because it reminds us that we are not the center of the universe, that there's something bigger. You see, when we feel small, when we feel small and when we're in the presence of something much, much greater, then we feel liberated and freed because we now see ourselves in the place that we truly are. Not that we're not that big, we're not that important. We're not that significant. And ironically, it's the most liberating and the most freeing thing for us. It is. So we're just going to sing again. We're going to sing one more song. We're going to sing a song to close ourselves out um, from this this service today. And if you have um, communion prepared for you at your home, um, there's probably no better thing to ponder during this song and during taking of communion if you just want to do it later after we close out the service, there's probably no greater thing for you to ponder than than the, the name of Christ and the proper name of Christ and the fact that he, he alone is able to rescue you from your sins by taking the punishment that's deserved when we misuse his name. And so we don't go on and continue to misuse his name. Paul says, I don't go on and continue sinning just because there's grace available and forgiveness available. In fact, when I realize that I'm in the wrong, it's time for me to repent and to come back and to turn from those ways and never do them again. And so I'm going to pray for you that that would happen for you today and that we would uh, just enjoy the rest of the afternoon and, uh, and look forward to the fourth commandment next week. We have a, it's the beauty of having church at home. We have a thirsty dog, and I'm sure that you guys could hear that in the microphones lapping that water. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for teaching us, giving us your word, and um, for helping us to understand the way that you desire your name to be used. And God, it's not just a trivial thing. It's not just a, a semantics thing. It's not just, well, don't say it in the wrong way because you'll be punished. God, when your name is misused, people misunderstand who you are. And there's a big, much deeper reason for using your name properly because we're guilty of leading people astray when we use your name and think of it inconsequentially. When we, um, <clears throat> when we just flippantly throw your name out there, that's what happens. And so, God, we pray that today <clears throat> that you will put us in a place where we can see how big you are and how small we are and may, may people, if they don't understand what I mean when I say that, maybe may they try it. May they go out tonight under a clear sky and just look into the sky, into the stars. May they go on a walk and consider nature and how 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 beautiful it is and how all of the all of creation praises your name. And and when we do that, God, may we think to ourselves just how small we are. And it's so freeing. We don't feel any more free than when we're in places like that. It's it's an amazing thing. The reason why so many people feel so bound up and enslaved is because they're putting themselves in the center of the universe. I have rights. You got to do this for me. I'm the biggest. I'm the most important thing. And they, we just get angrier and angrier and frustrated and more frustrated. Why? Because we're assuming that we're the greatest thing in the world. Lord, we need to be humbled in order to be able to be truly free. Thank you so much for teaching us about your name. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.